Thank you, worship team, for leading us. I do have a bit of a cold this morning, so I've already warned the sound team if I go like this, you guys won't get an earful of coughing noises here. Um, well, nearly <clears throat> 350 years ago, the church from England and the church of Scotland wanted to come together and uh, unite upon their beliefs and bring greater unity to the church. And so the Assembly of the Westminster met in London, and they came up with a set of catechisms. Now, it's a fancy word for question and answer. And this style of summarizing their theology was put into 107 different questions that follow with answers. And the first question they posit is, is perhaps the biggest and most important one. And they ask, what is the chief end of man? Now, if, if you were put in the position of trying to summarize humanity, what would you say, right? I think, I think if we were to put the purpose of what God's creation is into a single statement, I think that's a little bold. Uh, but I think they captured it really well. The answer they came up with was that the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. To glorify God and to enjoy. Not to produce not to, not to consume or build, right? to enjoy and glorify. The greatest purpose for which we can live in this world is giving glory to our Father. Now back in, in September, we began a new series uh, where we're looking through the Word because the Word is more than just a, a collection of stories. It's history, it's law, it's songs, poetry, uh, truth, laments, and above all of that, even as, as the book of Hebrews reminds us, it's living and active. It speaks directly to us and it pierces our very hearts and reaches to the very depths of our minds. And as, as God says in Isaiah chapter 55, which is our, our theme verse for the, this as we're walking through, that his word always accomplishes the purpose for which it is sent. It always returns um, having accomplished what it was meant to do. And all throughout the Bible, we learn that from the word, we are created to worship, right? From the beginning of time when Adam and Eve walked in the cool of the garden alongside God until the end and revelation of the coming judgment day, we see again and again that humanity, we are created to praise and glorify our loving father, right? We read stories about Moses in the book of Exodus who was praising God and singing this song to him as he led the Israelites out of their enslavement in Egypt and through the Red Sea. Right? David danced in worship before the Lord as the Ark of the Covenant was brought back to Israel. And, and again, Revelation tells us of the day where we will join with every part of creation singing praises to our God and glorifying him. Worship is what we are created to do as humans. And, and today, as we look through the word and what it tells us about praise and how we can live in that, I want to try to answer three relatively simple questions or to look at them more so. So why are we created for praise? Uh, what do we praise God for and when do we praise? And, and as we walk through each of these three questions, my hope is that you would see the great hope that we are given as we praise our God. And as we do, we are filled with hope it readjusts our focus back to truth and reality and helps settle the untruths that sometimes bounce around in our minds and also gives us strength and courage in the midst of the, the difficulties and circumstances that we find ourselves in too. 
so if you have a Bible with you this morning, turn with me to Psalm 147. We're going to be reading one of the praise psalms, the last of the five psalms in the book of Psalms. Um, I'll begin with the words, praise the Lord. Uh, so we'll be reading Psalm 147 in its entirety here. Praise the Lord. How good it is to sing praises to our God. How pleasant and fitting to praise him. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the exiles of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He determines the number of the stars and calls them each by name. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has no limit. The Lord sustains the humble but casts the wicked to the ground. Sing to the Lord with grateful praise. Make music to our God on the harp. He covers the sky with clouds. He supplies the earth with rain and makes grass grow on the hills. He provides food for the cattle and for the young ravens when they call. His pleasure is not in the strength of the horse, nor is his delight in the legs of the warrior. The Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. Extol the Lord, Jerusalem. Praise your Lord. Praise your God, Zion. He strengthens the bars of your gates and blesses your peoples within you. He grants peace to your borders and satisfies you with the finest of wheat. He sends his command to the earth. His word runs swiftly. He spreads the snow like wool and scatters the frost like ashes. He hurls down his hail like pebbles who can withstand his icy blast. He sends his word and melts them. He stirs up his breezes and the waters flow. He has revealed his word to Jacob and his laws and decrees to Israel. He has done this for no other nation. They do not know his laws. Praise the Lord. All, all throughout this psalm, we see the reasons why the author is praising God. Right? Because God saved his people, the Israelites, right? Because he heals the brokenhearted, he binds up the wounded. Right? Praise God because of his extraordinary creation that he sends these clouds which bring rain and snow to water our land and give the things that we need in due season. But amidst all of the praising God that we see within the Bible, if if we look to the outside world, outside of Christianity, religion, belief in following Jesus. A lot of people, a lot of unbelievers in this world would, would argue that it's odd to praise God, that there's no real purpose to it, right? And, and maybe I'll, I'll try and spell that out a little better. I remember one time I was at Bible college and we were sitting in class and a student stood up and asked a question, which I thought was very interesting. And I think a lot of our society would ask the same thing. And he asked, isn't it selfish for God to create humanity just for the sole purpose of us worshiping him, right? Like, isn't that just narcissistic? He's making us simply for the purpose of, of building up his pride or stroking his ego, right? But that's the mindset that all the religions of the world come to God or gods with, right? We, we see that the gods are better and more powerful than us, and so we need to offer something. We need to lift up praises to them in order to receive something. We need to give up or sacrifice in order for them to give us what we need. And so praise is just a bargaining chip, right? It's just something we give up in order to get what we want from our God. But to think that God created us, you and me, simply for the sake of his narcissism doesn't quite hit the point. That's not the truth. And if it's not for God's benefit, then why are we created to praise? 
I think it's for our benefit. It's the exact opposite of what maybe the unbeliever comes to the view of God with, that God created us to praise him for our own benefit, for our own joy. It wasn't selfish of him. Rather, his making us to worship him, the greatest thing in all of creation and everything is him. And to worship anything less than that is to settle. Right? We are created in the image of God. We were made to be in relationship with each other and with our creator. And through that, we get to know and praise him for who he is. When we settle for anything less, when we praise material things, when we praise ourselves or others too even, we, we settle and worship lesser things. And our praise is then unfulfilling. Uh, our praise or the joy that we receive from praise is directly related to the worthiness of the thing that we praise. So the greater the worthiness of the object with which we praise, the greater our joy will be as we worship. And so when we praise ourselves or others, and we are inevitably let down by ourselves and others, right? our joy is taken away. And that's why we can only worship the one true perfect and holy and good God. Because there's no evil within him. There's no failure within him. And what's more than that is that he allows broken people like us to worship him. He's made a way for us to worship him. He's even stepped into our mess. He's cleaned us up and breaking the bondage to the idols that we wrongly praise in this world too. That's how loving our father is. He's helping us to see that praising him is not just his delight, but ours too. It is relationship with our creator to praise him. And it fulfills our greatest longings in life. So we praise God because it is our great joy, right? But what do we praise him for? Uh, Well, first of all, we praise him because he's worthy. We'll talk about what we praise him for. But in in Revelation chapter 4, verse 11, we see the reason why he's so worthy. And it says, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created to have their being." I like the, uh, the front in the newsletter that Pastor Rebecca wrote here. You'll have to get a chance to read it after the service, but it talks about a little bit of the beauty we see in creation, and, uh, and the, one she, or the example she uses is the beauty of the sunrise and the way God paints a new picture for us each day. But have you ever, I realize in landlocked Alberta, this probably isn't a, a fair example to use, but have you ever stood at the edge of the ocean and, and looked out on the vastness of the water or maybe the Great Lakes, if you've never been to the ocean. Um, but it's hard not to be in awe. It's hard not as you see the tide coming in and flowing back out, seeing how vast this ocean is, how chaotic to know that God is still in control. And it's hard not to be in awe, right? When we see the beauty of the morning sunrise, when we see the mother doe taking care of her spotted young, The beauty and strength of a horse in full sprint, these are beautiful things we see in creation. And when we look to creation, we see that there's an easy reason to praise God. He's beautiful, he's creative, he's he's wonderful to us. And he cares for us to enjoy his creation too. Look at creation and you'll find a reason to praise God. But that's not the only reason we praise God. We also praise him for the good things that he's done in our lives. Right? For the ways he's saved us, for the ways he's led us through difficult seasons as well. And Psalm 34 is a great example of that. It's written by David when he was in a time of need, when he was running from his enemy, and God provided for him. And so he writes these words, I sought the Lord, 
and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The Lord redeems his servant. No one will be condemned who takes refuge in him. David bursts into song when he reflects on what God had done in his life, the troubles that he'd brought him through, and the good that he allowed David to see. And we see this all throughout scripture, people praising God for the good things that he's done in our lives, right? When Israel was delivered from their enemies, the king worshiped and, and said to God, I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise and I have saved from my enemies. Or, or on the day in, in the book of Nehemiah where Jerusalem rebuilt their walls and they came together and on that day, it says, they offered great sacrifices, rejoicing because God had given them great joy. The women and children also rejoiced. The sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard from far away. What has God done in your life that is worth shouting praises to him for? Right? It's worth dancing to him for. And I realize as Baptists, we're probably not the best dancers, but we have reason to sing and shout and praise our wonderful God. And yet, it's so much easier to live within attitudes that feel like we don't have all that we need. But we see this beauty of what God has done to fulfill our joy, and we have a reason to praise him for that. Over the last couple of weeks, we, we've been looking at the word, and more specifically the law, and what the law teaches us about who God is, and how we can live well in this world. And so, all throughout the law, we find these practices or acts, rituals of remembrance, things that the Israelites were commanded to do to remind themselves of what God had brought them through. So the, the Feast of Tabernacles was one of those examples, and so they were supposed to live in booths for seven days for a full week. Actually, I'll just read for you the verse in Leviticus chapter 23. Uh, live in booths for seven days. All native-born Israelites are to live in booths. Your descendants will know that I had the Israelites live in booths when I brought them out of Egypt. Right? This was a ritual, a celebration that lasted a week to point their minds and hearts back to the time when God saved them out of Egypt, to know that God is more powerful and that he has worked in the past and will continue to work in their present. Now, another great example of this uh, acts of remembrance would be communion, right? We celebrate what Jesus had done, his act on the cross, by eating the bread and drinking the wine or juice and remembering that we can have relationship with our creator because of what Jesus has done for us. And so part of this acts of remembrance in praising God actually requires us to stop, to reflect, to meditate on our lives and the reason that God is praiseworthy. So again, what reason do you have to praise God? Not just in the, the present or the past, things to look back on, but we can look forward to the hope that we have in Jesus, knowing that we will one day again join with all of creation, praising him for his goodness. We will see him face to face and live in the joy of that forever. And how beautiful and secure that hope is. Right? Revelation 5 verse 13 says that we will sing these words with all of creation. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. This is what we were made for. To be in relationship with our creator, praising and worshiping him for the fullness of our own joy. And for the fullness of who he is. But... 
but we don't always face joyful circumstances, if you haven't noticed that already, where we see God at work, right? Many times in life, we don't know what God is doing. It seems like he's making things worse instead of better. Or when we're going through hardship or discipline, it's hard to see what he's doing in those moments. And the word reminds us that in those seasons, we ought to give up praising. No, no. Yeah, right. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> We are continue to praise. We are encouraged to praise our loving Father all the same. In Acts chapter 16, we see this story about two men. Sorry, give me a second. Um, named Paul and Silas. And as they are proclaiming the word to those around them, they are captured, they're flogged, and they're thrown in prison. And it says that at about midnight, as they're sitting in the cold, dark prison with their feet in shackles, and their backs obviously bruised and bleeding, that as they were sitting there together, they were singing songs. Right? How on earth could they praise in that type of situation? Or, or, or better yet, how could they praise a God who would willingly lead them to that place, who would, for the work that they were doing on his behalf, put them in prison? Right, because they knew that praising him would lead them back to truth, would remind themselves of the truth which they couldn't maybe see in the moment. The truth that God is still in control, that he does care for his creation, that he cares for us, that even when the circumstances seem bleak, and it seems like God has given up on us, right, that he's still good and powerful despite what we can certainly see through our circumstances. And we see that same mindset in Psalm, verse, in Psalm 77, right? The author is crying out to God and he says this, has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? Then I thought, to this I will appeal. The years of the right hand of the Lord, yes, I will remember his miracles of long ago. I will meditate on all your works and consider all your mighty deeds. In the moments of, of darkness, when it's hard to see God or what he's doing, we can praise to remind ourselves that he's still at work, that he's still worth praising even in those moments, which is why we see praise so much in the midst of pain in the book of Psalms. It's kind of jarring when you read through some of the Psalms where you see, praise the Lord for all of his goodness, and why have you forsaken me? In the same song, praising to God. But that's because we can still praise him in the midst of the trials we face, knowing that he's still good, that he's still in control, that he's still working. Not praising him for the pains that we face always, nor for the, but for the fact that he is more powerful, that he is in control, that it is his purposes that are prevailing and not the enemy's work in our lives, that God has not given up on us, that he will carry out the work that he began in each one of us. And yes, this type of praise is hard. I realize that. And Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15 says this, through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess his name. And we might read over that a little quickly, but sacrifice of praise is kind of an ironic term, right? Sacrifice means to give up something that costs us. We're lessening ourselves for the sake of something else to be bettered. Whereas praising, we're giving something up, but we're also receiving, right? So where does, where does this praise cost us? And I think it's that it costs us our pride, our selfishness at times too. 
Right? Because the only way we can bring ourselves to God in the midst of suffering and hold to the truth of who he is is when we acknowledge and first sacrifice our own feelings, to give up our feelings of, I don't deserve this. Right? And to accept that even though it seems like every possible piece of evidence is pointing towards the fact that God has abandoned you, that you will hold on to the truth that he has not, that he will walk alongside you. To praise God for his faithfulness to us. And that's not the only beauty that praise works in our lives. It's not just that it reminds us that he's still working, that reminds us of the truth of who he is in those moments. It's also the way that we overcome our enemy in this world is really cool. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, the, the nation of Israel is under attack, and as the enemy is surrounding the nation of Israel, Israel is getting worried, and so they come together, and the king and the people all cry out to God asking for help, and God responds to them, and he says that he would fight this battle for them. And so as they hear this word from the Lord, they begin to sing praises to God. Now, Keep in mind, this was still when the enemy was surrounding them. They just simply heard a word from God that he would fight this battle for them. And so they began to worship and praise God, knowing that the victory had already been won, even though the enemy was still at the gate. And here's what happened. 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 22. As they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. As we praise our God, our very real enemy is defeated. The power is taken away from him, right? It wasn't, uh, there's so many stories of this in the Bible. It wasn't because of the advanced technology or weaponry that the walls of Jericho fell, right? It was as they surrounded it and shouted and lifted up the voices and as they shouted and they blasted the trumpet. Uh, years before this, in Exodus chapter 17, Again, the Israelites were being attacked. And as they waged war, Moses would raise his hands towards God. And as he raised his hands, they would find victory. But as soon as Moses lowered his hands, they would lose the battle. And so they got a couple people to hold his hands up in the air for him. It's a great story. But I want us to see that as we praise our God, he overcomes our enemy for us. Right? We don't strive and struggle against our enemy. Yes, there are many moments that we do, but that's not how we overcome. We overcome as we set our gaze on him, as we praise him in the midst of the things that we face, as we lift up a sound of joy and dance to him, knowing that he has made every way for us to experience life and joy in him. There's something that praise does more than just simply turning our attention and focus to God we're also reminded that through praise, he is in control, that he is working good, that he hasn't given up on us. We can take courage in difficult circumstances and be assured that God is still working, that the truth of his word is still upheld today. Because if God is for us, who can be against us? So, what type of praise do you need to offer? Where are you at? Do you need to remind yourself of what God is doing? to meditate on his word and to remind yourself that he has been faithful in the past, that he will continue to be faithful in the future, and he will continue to provide? Or, or are you facing pain? Are you in the midst of trials and darkness where it seems like, again, every piece of evidence is pointing towards the fact that God has left you? It's hard to see him or what he's doing. Right? Praise God 
to remind yourself that even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you won't have to fear any evil because he's with you. He lights the path before us. Or maybe your life is full of joy right now. Maybe you were called to give praise to God, to sing and to dance and to shout for joy and even be filled with a greater joy knowing that this is what we get to do for eternity. We get to be filled with so much joy that we cannot help but praise our loving creator. That is what we were made for, that one day we will join with our brothers and sisters who have gone before us and see Jesus face to face and worship with them. You and I were created to praise, to worship him, and through that worship to be filled with hope, to be filled with joy, and to live as we set our gaze on Jesus in the way he's called us to, but friends, we are never left without hope and without joy. And in the midst of whatever we face today, we can offer praise to God to remind ourselves that he's good, to show ourselves and others that he's good, but always for the sake of joy and relationship. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you've made every way for us to be in relationship with you. Father, we thank you that you've cared for us so greatly that even when we have so many opinions of you just being angry, just being mean, and being a God who just takes away and always does these things in our lives, that we realize you've created us for joy. You've created us to enjoy you and to enjoy you forever. Father, I pray that you would help us to be filled with hope in that. Father, for those who need to reflect on your word to remember the things that you've done and who you are, I pray that you would just put a passion and a desire for that. Father, alongside those who are struggling, especially even just recognizing the loss that we had this weekend. Father, we ask that you'd come alongside and remind us that as we praise that you are still good, that you are still in control. And Father, we thank you that we have so very many reasons to praise you. So we thank you for your goodness to us in all these ways. In your name, Jesus. Amen.